Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, April 29th, 2022. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Well, the uh, revelations keep coming from the forthcoming book by uh, Alexander Burns and Jonathan Martin, This Will Not Pass. All we've hear- heard about all week is about... Uh, uh, the Republicans uh, trying to manage their feelings about Trump in the wake of January 6th. But um, our friends at the dispatch got a copy of the book and found an absolutely jaw-dropping <laughs> detail, not about Republicans, but about Democrats. Um, uh According to the book, Democrats' serious internal divisions have stalled President Joe Biden's domestic agenda with centrists and progressives seeking to advance radically different priorities. Uh, Martin and Burns write, to the centrists, Trump represented a decisive turn into politics as a form of warfare. With every issue presidential action and every congressional vote treated as combat, they believe that deal-making and bipartisan cooperation would restore a mood of normalcy in the Capitol and eventually in the nation at large. But from the perspective of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, they write, that was a sucker's view, because even if voters told pollsters they cared about bipartisanship, liberals believed Americans cared far more about tangible improvements to their lives. Uh, To the left, purging Trump from the political system meant showing the electorate, including lower-income whites who supported the former president, that government could transform their lives for the better. Okay, so here, that's... That's nothing new, right? Here's the new detail. On September 22nd, 2021, as the Biden administration was desperately trying to get some kind of consensus deal in the Democratic Senatorial Caucus on the Build Back Better bill, the reconciliation package, right? Uh, He had two meetings on September 22nd. One first with the centrists, meaning Joe Manchin of West Virginia and uh, Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, and another meeting with progressives, including the Congressional Progressive Caucus uh, in the House. Um, as we know, Manchin had committed to this notion that he would only spend a trillion and a half dollars on the Build Back Better bill. That was that's where he was. He told Schumer. He mentioned it in public. He wrote an op-ed about it. That was public. Here's what here's what uh, the dispatch says. Cinema had been less specific in public about her top line number, but the book reports had shared it with Biden in direct conversations they'd had. Whereupon, in the meeting with the centrists, which wasn't just Manchin and Cinema, Biden hung her out to dry. And here's here's the relevant um, anecdote. Quote. Biden floated a budget number for the reconciliation bill that he hoped everyone present could accept. Perhaps Biden said it could end up around $2 trillion. He acknowledged that Cinema was pushing for a much smaller package. In fact, Biden told the group the Arizona senator had set her limit at $1.1 trillion. The room froze. The Arizona senator had refused to outline her negotiating parameters in public, as Manchin had done. That was partly because the White House had asked her not to. Biden aides believed her demands were not reasonable, and they feared that if Cinema drew a public red line at $1.1 trillion, a miserly sum by liberal standards, then the party would erupt in open war. Now, Biden had exposed to some of Cinema's colleagues the very position his aides had asked her to conceal. The senator was visibly angry. Mr. President, she said, that was a private conversation. Cinema began to stand up. She asked Biden, do you want me to leave? Kristen Cinema was going to walk out on the president of the United States because she had been keeping her mouth shut to do him a favor and to be a good soldier about what her number was. And he said, well, Kristen only wants a trillion one, obviously with the idea that maybe her colleagues at the table would pressure her into going up. Um, This is kind of a, a, and she got mad at him and was going to walk out. That's meeting number one on the same day. A short time later, Biden sat down with progressives for a meeting that was, quote, considerably more agreeable, unquote. 
The session with Bernie Sanders, House Progressive Caucus Chair Pramila Jayapal, and others went swimmingly. Biden signed for Jayapal a copy of an address he'd given to Congress outlining his agenda one day after he'd, quote, called her up to wish her a happy birthday and cheer her for an appearance on Rachel Maddow's MSNBC show. So he had a love fest with the progressives and he screwed, metaphorically, uh, uh, Kirsten Sinema uh, in a meeting at the White House on the very same day. Um, so uh, what do we make of this? Abe, you, you yesterday said that uh, when I was floating my, they're bad at this, they're stupid, the White House is stupid, that they weren't stupid, that they had their hands full just trying to prop Biden up. What do you, how does this anecdote dovetail with that? Um, I think beautifully. It's not it's it's propping him up. It's also putting out the fires that he starts um, owing to what seems to me to be his being um, not nearly at his best um, and uh, fixing the things he breaks and walking back the erroneous statements he makes. And I think you could see here, look at the fate of build back better. Um, it, this, the, there, there was no reconciling these parties. Um, he blundered the whole thing. Um, and yeah, I think, I think my point was that, you know, they can't get real things done policy wise because the, the, this is the White House, because so much of the staff is busy putting out fires and fixing and sort of caregiving and doing social work. Um, and you cannot be nimble um, and you cannot respond appropriately as facts on the ground's ground change when you are just dealing with um, such a grave problem at the center of it all. Doesn't it also suggest a, a kind of empowerment of White House staff without a, a, a similar communication channel back to the president? Right. So the fact that the staff negotiated was negotiating this kind of in private with cinema and then Biden just blurts stuff out in a meeting suggests he's not being briefed about everything. Now, a president doesn't need to be briefed about all the details of every single thing his staff is doing. But for something this high stakes that he was making public you know, remarks about constantly and saying, this is this is my legacy. I'm got to be the next FDR. You would think he'd be kind of tuned into some of the details of what his staff was negotiating behind the scenes in private conversations with senators as crucial as cinema. But clearly there was a communication breakdown there as well. Noah, we knew that Joe Manchin's number was a trillion five. We knew this in March of 2021. I think that's when he published the op-ed in the Wall Street Journal or he said something, I can't remember what, but as early as March 2021 and repeated three or four times publicly before the bill collapsed and whenever it collapsed, November, I can't even remember, October, I don't remember. I guess November because it was after the, was after the midterm, the, not the midterm, but the 2021 uh, elections. Um, so his number was a trillion five and there was all this focus, if we can move Mansion, if we can move Mansion, if we can get it up to two trillion, if we can move Mansion. And Manchin said, I'm fixed at one five. And the entire political world of the liberal left, including the journalists that support the liberal left, somehow seemed not to think that he meant it and that they could continue to negotiate on a higher number. Like at some point, it not was just like, that he oh, didn't okay. mean it, yeah. but that he was being coy, right? That he was being opaque and vague. And, you know, just there were piece after piece was like, what does what does Joe Manchin want? Why won't he just okay. tell us what he wants? Because okay, he didn't so, want to hear what he was saying. Right. OK. But then there are two senators here. There's Manchin and there's Cinema. Cinema, it turns out, had a number. Twenty five percent lower than Manchin's. She votes against the bill. It's dead. One vote against the bill and it was dead. The White House said, please don't go public with this because you're going to screw up our ability to do something or other with the there's going to be open warfare with the progressives. I'm now getting back to my they're bad at this and they're stupid. 
This means that they spent six months negotiating over numbers that they had every reason to know would never meet a standard that could have the bill passed in the Senate, ever. All we ever heard was Manchin. Cinema was worse, and Biden knew. And the White House knew that Cinema's number was worse for them. And that they would have to go, if they were going to be honest, if they were going to, like, talk talkless, as we say, sit down with the House Democrats and the progressives and say, do we want a bill? Do we want any kind of a bill as opposed to no bill? Then we're going to have to be in the realm of a trillion instead of three and a half trillion. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. We're lucky we can even talk about this at all. We can only talk about this because we won the two Georgia Senate seats, which we weren't supposed to win. But here we are. We're get, we have these two bills. We have an infrastructure bill, which we can pass, and we have some kind of secondary, you know, big government spending that we can pass. And when, when They the did time? themselves no favors by silencing cinema and keeping her quiet. They did themselves no favors by pretending that Manchin and Cinema could be moved up. You're talking about doubling Cinema's low offer, right? I mean, they were the number that we heard through October was more than two trillion, and that that was some huge compromise on the part of House progressives because they wanted three and a half trillion, and they were going down. See how great they are? They're going down. The fact that they didn't know where Cinema was which apparently was the White House's doing, was incredibly injurious to them. It led to this gigantic fit political failure. And, you know, How is that smart? Terrible prospect of open warfare with progressives. What are they going to do? Get on boats and lay siege to, his, to, to Manchin's boathouse or follow Kirsten Sinema into the bathroom? I mean... That would that would be terrible. We have to avoid that outcome. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say this, that the way that Biden handled this uh, actually encouraged that kind of crazed spectacle on the part of the progressives. And the entire time the progressives were being completely honest, at least about how insane their views were, because they were like, well, we know the American people don't want to spending lots of money. But we think once we spend all of this money, their money, because it's taxpayer money, they'll realize how great government can, can be for them. It'll solve their problems. It'll be so they in this in the book, they Burns and what's his name? Are, are pretty clear about what the progressives were up to. It's like, we're not going to look at the polls. We know what's best. We know if we if we spend, 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 they'll love us. They'll definitely love us. Even the people who went to Trump last time will love us because we're giving them all this stuff from the government. I would even say that that was an unreasonable, that that was a perfectly reasonable attitude if you were a progressive. In other words, what happened is government's not working for people. Here's how we think government can work for people. We're going to do whatever we can to make government work for people, and then we will be rewarded. The problem is they're wrong. This is not good for people. This doesn't help people. People don't like this kind of system of direct, you know, sort of like just having money poured on their head. It turns out most people don't seem to like that because a lot of people don't get it. Some people get it, and then a lot of people don't get it. And it has inflationary and it has this huge inflationary effect, which people seem to know implicitly, even if they didn't know it logically, like money doesn't grow on trees. If it comes from somewhere and there's going to be hell to pay if they spend all this money. But if I'm a progressive, I'm like the way for us to solidify our majority and to win the country back from Trump is to do great things for people so that they will feel better. They will think the government's working for them. And they will, you know, and they will reward us. And all of that is true. It just depends on them making things better for people. That's what but, it depends on. But the re- and the real canary in the coal mine that they totally didn't uh, take to heart was they uh, remember when there was a poll done when when Biden started issuing all the, the child care tax credit, the checks, the direct checks. A poll was done after a couple of months of that. And people are like, you know what? I mean, it was fine for a few months, but we don't want this anymore. And they just kept doing it. Like there was a sense in which even when they were told with with polling data or with focus groups that eh, we're worried about the economy, worried about this, we don't really want all this money. They kept doing it. And so, I mean, so they have no one but themselves to blame. Obviously, I agree with you, John, that 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 is the progressive mindset. But it's the fact that Biden embraced it that is is going to spell doom in the midterms for the Democrats. I mean, all politics are about 
saying to people the things that we do are going to improve things for you and then hopefully you'll say we're the kind of people that you should that we're going to vote for because we like the results that's just politics 101 sometimes it is we're going to get out of your way we're going to deregulate we're going to cut taxes we're going to get out of your way and let you be free to do what you need to do that would be the kind of rightward way the the leftward way is to provide benefits or to structure benefits to do that some of those are incredibly popular like you know i mean the the entitlements are incredibly popular but the point here is where we're going to get to is the answer to all this is going to be well you see mansion cinema really did screw everybody five times from sunday because we didn't get bill back better and there was no bill and there was no payment there was no helping people do better conveniently then forgetting the you know the relief package that passed in the spring which means i think that we are getting we're going to move toward an attitude on the left the true bidenism has never been tried True Bidenism has never been tried. What did Biden want? He wanted Build Back Better and the infrastructure bill. He wanted it all together. They split it apart because that was the only way they could get the infrastructure bill. He wanted to hold the infrastructure bill hostage to Build Back Better, but he couldn't. And then he wanted $2 trillion, and he couldn't get that either. And so the tragedy of Biden is that his true Bidenism was, you know, like I said, we, we never really saw the results of Bidenism because he didn't get his way. I don't know. That seems highly unlikely to me because he has no <laughs> he has no cheering section in, in the most vocal elements of the Democratic Party. I mean, Biden's more likely to be a Kerensky than uh, it's coming. I mean, it is coming. I'm telling you right now, there is going to be a lot of revisionism about how Biden did great things and the child tax credit it lifted children, 15 million children out of poverty. And if we had just passed Build Back Better, who knows the paradise it would have been in. And once again, it's those two. It's the guy in the boat and the weird, you know, woman from Arizona who, are, who ruined everything for America. I push all my chips in on the notion that Joe Biden was unequal to the moment that he was a transitional figure, a provisional figure who simply didn't understand the stakes of the fights he was trying to wage. Listen, I mean, also, yeah. and, and, you know, the argument that, that uh, true Bidenism hasn't been tried, um, I think sort of implicit in that is, is the fact that um, true Bidenism wasn't feasible. That's why it hasn't been tried. It can't be tried. Yeah, but that's what they always say. That's what they say about social. That's what they say about everything. That's what I'm saying. Well, but there are, that's what I'm saying. True Bidenism. That's why this is the perfect excuse. But there are it's moments. always the excuse for prog- the failure of progressive politics that it was it. it the laboratory was corrupted. They if didn't that's get the case. They, yeah. OK. The laboratory is about to be far more corrupted <laughs> from their standpoint. So. It's not a it's not a good story to tell now because it's not as if you can now implement true Bidenism. Oh, I'm not. We I'm saw, not saying could I just tell add that we, yeah. we, we did we did try true Bidenism in Afghanistan. That was true Bidenism. And people did not like it for, for very legitimate reasons. So there's a sense in which I don't. Again, the American people aren't stupid. They look at that. They transfer their assessment of this administration's competence to other things. That does happen. We saw that in polling. We, but, but that's just in general, you understand that. That was a debacle. Cost people their lives. It's still costing people their lives. People who helped liberals, our country. Liberals always love to revisit mushy administrations or whatever and then say, you know what, from the perspective of the future, you know, I mean, I heard people say at the death of George H.W. Bush that he was the greatest president of our lifetime. Of course, Jimmy Carter, what noble things he did, what wonderful and what a what a what a great old person he he is and all of that. There's a lot of revisionism. There's a whole world that buys into any kind of revisionism. It, Biden is, you know, if, if you wanted to go long on something, you should go long on liberals and Biden's reputation at some point. Because they're going to want to say it in part from something we're going to talk about in a minute. They're going to want to say that Biden could have been the greatest president ever, but it was those meddling Republicans. You know, they pulled off the, you know, pulled, pulled off the mask of the Scooby-Doo villain. It's a, 
that everything would have been great if not for you meddling kids. You know, that that is basically where 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 that is uh, uh, going. And if you want to know why Biden is uh, failing economically and why a lot of this stuff is happening, you want to go and download and order our friend David Bonson's book. There's no free lunch, 250 economic truths. This is not about the present moment. This is not about, you know, a polemic about Biden or anything like that. He wrote a very uh, great polemic about Elizabeth Warren a couple of years ago. This is not what this is. This is a daily primer about economics and ordered liberty and religion and faith and the West and uh, takes up uh, 250 topics uh, relating to economics uh, supported by quotes and short descriptions of the ideas therein. It's a fantastic resource and a way of helping people understand how there is a deep connection between ordered liberty, free markets, and faith. So that's David Bonson's There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. Get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your books. And... Noah's favorite sheets. Time to talk about Noah's soft, buttery sheets with, uh, you know, with the best organic cotton threads on earth for superior softness and a better night's sleep. Buttery, breathable, and impossibly soft to start and get softer with every wash. Is that true, Noah? That's the bowl and branch sheets that we are now talking about. Noah's our guy with the bowl and branch sheets, as he said the other day, right? You said you've had them since November. You've slept on nothing else. That's right. Just took my live read away from me. What else am I supposed to say, John? This is my say, testimonial. This how about the my color? Testimonial. How about the colors? How about the, the colors? Color? Are great. We have pewter. They go with our walls. Their fitted sheets actually fit a king size mattress. They don't bunch up on you. And yes, they do get softer. And it's the only thing I've slept on, I think, for the better part of six months. There we go. So Bowl and Branch uses the highest quality threads on earth for superior softness and a better night's sleep. Sheets made with threads so luxurious. They're beloved by three U.S. presidents. They feel buttery to the touch and are super breathable, so they're perfect for every season. Over 10,000 stellar reviews. You'll immediately feel the difference from of their iconic signature sheets, 100% free from toxins, no pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They fit the deepest of mattresses, like you said, no one are labeled with top and bottom tags, so making your bed is easier than ever. Best of all, Bowling Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. Miss the Bowling Branch April sale? My listeners get exclusive access to a post-sale 20% site-wide discount through the end of April with promo code commentary at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. Promo code commentary for 20% off through the end of April. Um, so uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, uh, and unexpected stuff going on in partisan terms in the United States right now, in particular in the state of New York, where a very um, bold effort by the state legislature to draw um, uh, new congressional districts after the census to favor uh, Democrats uh, in, in very, very, uh, like, absolutely unmistakably partisan ways to increase the number of seats that would be safe or at least, like, uh, ultra, uh, as safe as possible for Democrats up their n- n- number of seats and I think there's 31 uh, congressional seats from New York, or is it 29? Anyway, that we're going to get like 25 or 26 of them, uh, gaining five or six through through the um, redistricting process alone. Uh, and also, we're doing things to save uh, to to ensure that they retained um, a supermajority in the states in the in in Albany in the local legislatures. Uh, the only problem is uh, that what they did was um, unbelievably unconstitutional, according to the according to the New York State Constitution. You may remember that in 2019, uh, the Supreme Court asked to rule on what so-called partisan gerrymanders, where you know, part uh, said uh, this is not our business. This is beyond the remit of federal courts. State redistricting and all of that stuff is a lo- is a state responsibility according to the Constitution. We're out of it. You know, the only thing we're involved with is voting rights because of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and the the 14th and and uh, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. 
And so that's all we that's all we touch. Everything else goes to the state level. Noah, you wrote a very good post on this. Talk to us about why this was so unbelievably flagrantly unconstitutional. Yeah. So I have gobs and gobs to say about this, including the intellectual currents that led to it and its repercussions, which are burgeoning, including in my neck of the woods. So over the course of the last decade, when I started in this business in 2010, um, the watchword among progressive reformers was to decouple the political process from reapportionment. It was um, it was something that needed to be independent uh, <clears throat> outside the control of elected officials, particularly in the legislature, because they all had their particular interests in mind and they gerrymandered themselves into safe districts and made elections less competitive. So we need good governance meant making making a reapportionment, decennial reapportionment, a, a political process. And they went about doing that at the time. There were no independent, almost no independent redistricting commissions. There are presently 21 states with independent redistricting commissions, very successful campaign led by progressives and, and liberals to successfully remove from the political constraints, as it were, even though governors have a veto power over all this mostly, um, to remove that uh, political process. And then over the course of the last decade, they began convincing themselves of the need to fight fire with fire because Republicans were never on board with this. They always supported uh, polit politicized redistricting. And to abandon that was to um, disarm unilaterally. And they began working themselves up into this notion that they cheat. Republicans cheat constantly. So we have to cheat too. And I wrote about this a couple of um, months ago, actually, that there's you know long intellectual threads that you can pull on that convinced Democrats of the need to play dirty. Using those words, we need to play dirty to win a headline in The Atlantic from this year. Uh, and it was succeeded, especially in New York. Um, now, courts have thrown out, you know, um, Democratic gerrymanders in Illinois and Maryland at the legislative level in Wisconsin, Republican gerrymanders in Kansas, North Carolina, and Ohio. It's not uncommon. But what the court did in New York is very rare. As you said, it was struck down, quote, a, per, a quote, procedurally unconstitutional map that violated a 2014 um, uh, rat, um, um, uh, vote a public vote, a plebiscite that made uh, made this independent commission in New York. Uh, this map was, quote, drawn with impermiss impermissible partisan purpose, according to Chief Judge Janet DeFiori, thrown out. And the process is remanded to an independent special master. who And, and they will have to cra craft new maps and they'll have to do it really fast. And if it doesn't happen in time to print ballots ahead of the June 18th primary in New York, you got to move the primary because this is unconstitutional. Now, People have already moved into different districts. Uh, lawmakers have retired as a result of these maps. So it's already had a, a significant political effect. And it suggests in part, in my view, this, this um, ruling in New York, that this redistricting fight in places where there are real controversial maps still in place is a very live issue, most notably in my state, in the state of New Jersey, where a very aggressive gerrymandered was put in place, sacrifices my representative, a Democratic representative, two-term Tom Milanowski. Um, this district got very red, so most likely he'll be replaced by Tom Keene Jr. in, the, in um, next year. But it shores I up a it lot up. of Kane. vulnerable... It's Kane, by the way. Kane, sure. Yeah. Shores up a lot of vulnerable Democrats in the state. Makes a lot of competitive districts uncompetitive. And uh, Republicans sued. In February, they sued, uh, alleging a variety of complaints, most notably among, you know, compactness and what have you, but among them, quote, that the presence of Sam Wang led, uh, the Sam Wang led group, the Princeton um, redistricting project, uh, which is something that a Princeton University professor by the name of Sam Wang has been a uh, proponent of for a decade. He was one of these people leading the charge to depoliticize the redistricting process and gives grades, grades to states that put, produce these maps. And he's very influential in the process of drawing these maps. He's also one of these people who's been a, a proponent of the idea that Democrats have been ideologically consistent over the course of this century and Republicans have been only growing more aggressive and ideologically rigid. Um, so he's just been a thorn in my side for a while. But this law lawsuit alleged that that group's presence on this committee and its influence on the committee and the selection of the tiebreaker, John E. Wallace Jr., breached their duty of independence and confidentiality. The court tossed that suit, quote, no count in the complaint, however, asserts that the final map itself is unlawful or that 
it is the result of invidious discrimination. Flash forward to yesterday. Um, Sam Wang is alleged by Princeton, which is investigating this, um, of, quote, working on New Jersey while he was working on New Jersey redistricting. Wang was accused of manipulating data to achieve the outcome he wanted, according to three individuals who were investigating this complaint on the New Jersey Redistricting Commission and in Pennsylvania, where the allegation uh, alleges that the Princeton gerrymandering project gave a new congressional map an overall grade of C. But under pressure from a major donor, Wang later changed the grade to B, an individual associated with a group of the New Jersey Globe alleges. Um, this is a live issue. If Republicans wanted to press this issue, go back to the courts, and they do, because according to the Republican chairman of the redistricting commission, quote, it seems appropriate that we convene a meeting of the commission as, as a whole to discuss Mr. Wang and PGP's misconduct and its implications on the process of an unethically and immorally derived current congressional redistricting map. I think that has merit. I don't know whether New Jersey has to go back to the drawing board. I don't know whether Pennsylvania has to go back to the drawing board. We're weeks away from these primaries. This is a serious scandal. And I don't know how courts can, especially if this investigation is ongoing and it doesn't conclude in the next two weeks with something exonerating Wang and his staff, how, this, how we don't go back to the drawing board here. The press, national press is ignoring this. It's one of the biggest political stories in America. We, we find ourselves, we have now been talking about the evils of the way gerrymanders have worked ever since Republicans started doing okay in the, in the process of redistricting. Which is this century. There have been partisan gerrymanders since Elbridge Gerry invented the gerrymander in the early Elbridge Gary, I have to Elbridge say. Elbridge Gary. Gary. Yeah. I'm sorry. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, and what happened was Democrats largely had the whip hand for a long time and nobody said anything about it. And then Republicans started doing what Democrats had always done. And there was a giant panic on the part of Democrats because what was sauce for the goose became sauce for the gander. And really beginning in 2011 and on, on forward was this idea that because the Republican Party had become a radical irredentist party and was using incredibly savage, hard, you know, hard uh, power politics to get its way, that all the rules uh, involving how redistricting worked and, and and all of that needed to be rewritten, um, that partisan gerrymanders, as they were called, needed to be overturned by the Supreme Court on the grounds that they were diluting, you know, they were improperly diluting, uh, you know, the individual's vote. Uh, and this was a huge issue. Many years, court cases, big court cases in Wisconsin finally went to the Supreme Court in 2019. And the Supreme Court said, leave us alone. The Constitution says that the responsibility for the management and administering and stuff, all of this is at the state level. This is beyond the remit of federal courts. Federal courts are involved in voting in one issue and one issue only, which is voting rights, largely relating to African-Americans because of the Voting Rights Act and because of the um, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. Uh, and that's why we're involved in voting at all at the federal level. Otherwise, we are, we're out of this. Before the Supreme Court even ruled on this, the part, the evil of partisan gerrymandering had become so clear to the voters of New York State, as, as Noah said, that in 2014, in a referendum, a publicly voted referendum, New York State banned partisan gerrymandering. And, and a commission was created, a bipartisan commission was created uh, to redistrict when the next census came about. So I should say these bipartisan redistricting, independent redistricting commissions are neither independent nor bipartisan. They usually produce the exact same res results a legislature would produce. They're at they're subject to veto by a governor who's uh, a partisan actor himself. It's it's there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around what is essentially a theatrical process right. that produces but nonetheless, something akin to what a legislature would produce. Yeah, but nonetheless, they rule they the voters of New York State 
outlawed partisan gerrymandering in a, in, a, in, a, in a plebiscite, and a commission was created, and the commission met, and they could not come up with a map that they would agree with, which of course means they couldn't come up with a map that they would agree with. Democrats say it's because Republicans wouldn't agree with them. That's not how uh, bipartisan commissions work. Republicans aren't obliged to agree with Democrats. The idea is if they say no, then they have to keep going back to the drawing board to say yes, or they have to petition to have members of the of the redistricting commission replaced because they are making the process impossible or something like that. But this is in the hands of this commission. And the state legislature, the assembly said, well, we're just going to do it ourselves anyway because they can't do it, and then drew this insane map. Totally unconstitutional, according to the New York State Constitution. And they did it like bald faced. And the governor, Kathy Hochul, said when asked by New York Times reporters in August of 2021 if she would use the redistricting process to help the Democratic Party expand its House majority, she answered flatly yes. She would use the redistricting process for that purpose. And it was flagrant. We haven't talked about the map they drew. The map they drew cut the Republican delegation, estimated, cut the Republican delegation to uh, Congress from New York in half. It was it was estimated to kill at least five Republican seats and giving all Republican voters in upstate New York to Lee Stefanik. Yeah. And here's the complaint. This is the New York Times story today. Um, uh, Other people blame Democrats blamed uh, former governor Andrew Cuomo for agreeing to a flawed commission structure with Senate Republicans and Assembly Democrats and appointing judges to the high court that they believe were too conservative. Chief Judge Janet DeFiore, who wrote the majority opinion, was once a Republican. She was once a Republican. She she became a Democrat, but she was once a Republican. And um, Michael J. Garcia, who joined her, had represented Senate Republicans while in private practice. He represented Senate Republicans while in private practice. Two judges, one had formerly been a Republican but is now a Democrat, and one had had business, did business with Senate Republicans, okay? This is how what they are caught literally, you know, sh- you know, shamelessly violating the state constitution and a, and a, and a, and a, and a plebiscitary law. And they say the problem is that the judges weren't biased enough in our favor. The judges didn't do what we want, which is to be partisan judges and rule on our behalf. And I'm sure they would have wanted to. And, and they a were caught of them did. And they were caught cheating on the way to cheating. As as the the allegation about the the fixed data implies, right? Well, I mean, the whole point here is that Democrats work themselves up into a lather panic on the idea that uh, that that Republicans were partisan gerrymandering in places like Wisconsin and North Carolina. In fact, a, a Republican map in North Carolina at some was was the Republican map. Uh, after the after the redistricting in 2010 has been the constant subject of of legal action since then because it was it was it was pretty um, shocking I think was it South Carolina one of the Carolinas I'm sorry I'm North Carolina North Carolina North Carolina um, Ohio and Kansas this cycle have been um, tossed right. by but that's, courts and, but, and Ohio still doesn't right. have a map right but that's this cycle the north carolina map has been was subject to 10 years of questioning as was wisconsin's and wisconsin's you'll remember wisconsin is the state wisconsin plaintiff brought the partisan gerrymandering case to the supreme court that the supreme court said sorry uh this isn't our business um and the this point is, here is for a decade is, no you can't just, just move no, on from this because for a decade they've been talking themselves up into this lather that you're talking about why your vote for Congress might not matter. CNN 2011 on a special they had they had a special jerry rigged. It was a, it was a special dedicated to how Republicans are disenfranchising you. Republican, especially Republicans cling to power only via redrawn maps. Sam Wang in a 2013 Princeton op ed or a New York Times op ed. The 20 popular 2016 book rat effed. the true story behind the secret plan to steal democracy, stealing democracy. It was a best selling book. This year, 
Sam Levine in The Guardian, the Republicans are trying to rig, quote, rig the 2022 elections. If Republicans prevail in rigging the 2022 elections, Mother Jones is Ari Berman. They'll be even more emboldened in 2024. We have to we have to cheat in order to prevent Republicans from cheating, per as as Abe just said. That's Seth Maskin, totally embracing that's, nonpartisan that's, redistricting will cost some seat and quite possibly control of the House. In other words, we have to perform partisan redistricting to retain control of the House. Why Democrats might need to play dirty to win the Atlantic this year. Paul Waldman in The Washington Post congratulating Democrats on being very, very aggressive at long last fighting the fight on the terms that Republicans have established. Gee, all where have we heard that before? They're doing this to own the cons, right? I mean, that's anyway, Christine, you were going to say, I'm sorry. I was just going to add that that uh, the alarmism when they when they look at the other side and talk about particularly election uh, stealing, um, most of the things that they're concerned about are, are duly elected officials who have Trump sympathies, which, look, I'm worried about that, too. Those the idea that the, that Trump uh should have properly won the election had not been stolen from is ridiculous, but at least they're being elected. Like these are local superintendents of election, election boards. Like they're packing those boards with people who, who Trump believes are sympathetic to him and sympathetic to his supporters on this other side, though, these are clearly like extrajudicial ways of getting to yes. Um, regardless of the fact that, that they are violating all the principles that they claim to have been earlier violated by the Republicans. I just think it's interesting that when, when it, it speaks to this broader issue among the left right now, where, when, you know, they lose elections and a president, they don't like nominates a Supreme court justice. They don't like the problem. Isn't that they lose elections and, and to think about why the problem is the Supreme court doesn't needs to be, packed full of more justices or whatnot. But I mean, again, this is the projection aspect because this is what you bring up that's so important. According pretty much since 2000, when Republicans prevail, they prevail because of illegitimate means. That is the that is the key Democratic theory. theory. Bush v. Gore was an illegitimate decision. The will of the people in Florida was to have uh, Gore as president, even though all the recounts uh, found that uh, Bush Bush would have would have prevailed, even though we kind of know that yes, the butterfly ballot in Palm Beach County uh, was so incompetently designed that it's likely that a bunch of people would you know wouldn't have had spoiled ballots and would have you know would have pushed Gore over the top. Who knows? That election's illegitimate. The 2004 election because it turned on the state of Ohio and. Uh, People in Gambier, Ohio, were voting late. Apparently, that alone discredited the 2004 election. People voted against the certification of the election in, you know, in Washington uh, to make the point that that election was illegitimate. Is among Democrats, and of course, gerrymand- partisan gerrymandering after 2010 uh, by by Republican states was more proof that Republicans were maintaining, holding, and creating positions of power for themselves through illegitimate means. And as a result of this, the Paul Waldman theory, which is, this is finally great that Democrats are, are fighting back, is Republicans will do anything because they don't care about our democracy and our systems. If they did, they would let us win everything because that's what the people really want. And the only way you can fight such monstrous people who will do anything is to fight on their is to is to give it back to them the way they gave it to you. So you want to spend 10 years yelling about the evil of partisan gerrymandering and writing books called rat eft and stuff like that. You know what you want? You want us to do it, too. We're going to do it also. This is also. Yeah. What's what's exactly what's happened, not by Democrats exactly, but uh, on the left with supposed disinformation. They what they're fighting disinformation with disinformation. They we're losing every issue because of disinformation. So this Hunter Biden story, that's disinformation. We will say that that's disinformation, which is disinformation. And they get screwed when they do this. I mean. I think we're getting now to the root of this. The fact is that unless outcome among the most partisan people and the most ideological people in the United States, unless outcomes comport with their priors, they do not accept the validity of the outcome. That is an increasing fact of our public life. 
Democrats and liberals think that Republican victories are illegitimate. White privilege, gerrymandering, voting suppression, 10,000 different nonsense ideas to explain why it is that Republicans win things that Democrats don't win things. And of course, Trump thinks anything he doesn't win was stolen from him because that's how, how he thinks about things. And we are basically in a position where, you know, if if you lose a game, it would be like as if you lose a game and you're the all you say is that is that the other team cheated. You could only ever lose a game because the other team cheated. And if basically if every baseball game, if every football, if every basketball game were operated on that basis, these sports would collapse, obviously, because the lack of trust would be so extreme that nobody would ever want to watch one ever again because it's... And then they have the nerve to say people are losing faith in institutions and we have to fix that. Right. I mean, I mean, that's the, that'd be right. So uh, as I say, this is a, this is a, this is a problem for both sides, but I really do think that the uh, absolute and utter refusal of, of, of Democrats and liberals to look themselves in the face and say that what they want is to rig the rules in their favor because uh, they think Republicans have rigged the rules in Republicans' favors or because they just think that these are the outcomes that are necessary for the good working order of the world. And to, you know, and to offset this terrible, you know, flight into authoritarianism. Um, I mean, this is why it's worth reading up uh, after we're done about the New York, the New York state, uh, uh, this, this, what, what happened here this week, because it was so brazen. It was, it was so brazen. Um, oh, but there was an element to this. I forgot to even mention <clears throat> the extent to which ostensibly nonpartisan Olympian observers of the political process were just tickled and sort of entertained by the way in which Democrats across the country had overcome the barriers uh, represented by a bad political environment and engineered themselves a backstop by redistricting themselves into favorable positions that could possibly weather as a firewall to possibly weather this um, the situation. David Wasserman over at Cook Political Report Look, I'm interpreting this because I because I've been following his career, but he's you know, in December, there will actually be a few more Biden won congressional districts after redistricting than there are now it was a sort of marveling over the extent to which they had cleverly gamed the process to disenfranchise voters. If the shoe was on the other foot, the notion here that they would just be sort of chin stroking and marveling over the cleverness of this strategy is ridiculous. 538's Nathaniel Rakich deemed um, the Democratic performance um, given had given them a national redistricting advantage, which, by the way, has subsequently disappeared over the last several weeks because it was so brazen, so egregious that it couldn't withstand scrutiny in the courts, even Democrat dominated courts. I, I love had this. there been some sort yeah. of a backstop here in the national conversation from people who they who the Democrats listen to intently and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're changing the rules of the game on the fly. You're disenfranchising your own voters. This will not stand. Somebody has to, has, there has to be a saner head here. Maybe there would have been, but there is no check on democratic behavior in the press. And once again, the press is ill-served by the handmaidenry of, uh, I mean, the Democrat Party is ill-served by the press's handmaiden role. Because if they were fearful of blowback, from if Carl Heasty, the head of the uh, Democrats in the New York State Assembly, if he had been fearful of blowback from newspapers and television stations and the New York Times and all of that, he would have thought twice. He would have been scared. He would have been worried that that the the whistle would have been blown on him. As it was, when the first maps came out, they were so brazen. That if you read the news stories or listened to the reports, there was a kind of, this is a very aggressive, extremely aggressive strategy, um, you know, that uh, it's very, uh, it, you know, they've, the bold. they're going for it. It's bold. They're going for it. As opposed to, 
What are you kidding me? In 2014, the state passed a referendum outlawing partisan gerrymanders, and you just took the power away from the commission they created and just did a partisan gerrymander that is so like absolutely out of all phase that you know uh you should probably be impeached. Carl Heasty, like you're not allowed to do this. If this was your plan, you know, uh, impeachment proceedings are not on, on, uh, should be on the table. You can't just knowingly and brazenly thing, violate law in the state constitution. And it's not just the press. I think there was a, a, a assumption abroad that Democrat dominated courts, the justices who were appointed by Democrats would were in on the game. They, they know the game here. They know the stakes. They know the scheme. And they're just going to wink and nod and let us get away with it. You know, and you know that from the projection uh, on the Supreme Court of the last, you know, of the last couple of years, right? Oh, well, you know, he had, they, had to get, they had to get Amy Coney Barrett onto the court so that, you know, when, when, the, when the Democrats stole the election and we had to do what was necessary, there would be a 6-3 majority to, to declare Trump the winner. Had to get her on the court as fast as possible because that's what they would do. I'm not the even saying that it's what Republicans didn't believe. What? No. Projection. Projection. It's a theme. There's a lot of projection going on here. So, uh, so I guess that's our show. Uh, we will project ourselves into a into a glorious weekend of uh, fun and frolic, and uh, be back to you on Monday. So, for Abe, Christina, Noam, John Podhoritz, keep the candle burning.